0: Gospel of John chapter one. I'm excited that we're starting it today. So if you want to turn there, Jesus, thank you for your word. I thank you for my faith family, those here today, and that we have the privilege of holding this word of God in our laps. And I pray that we all would strive to come to know you more, to grow deeper in our relationship with you, to fall all the more in love with you, O God. And this chapter, this word by John the Apostle does that effectively in my heart, and I pray it would ours as well. I do ask, Father, that you would help me to rightly divide your word, and that I wouldn't lead anybody to the right or to the left, Lord. Forgive me. Bless this time as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, I'm excited that we're moving into the New Testament, into the Gospel of John. It's the The foundation of of everything the church is, and and, and so it's it's critical that we study these things. We started five years ago, Genesis chapter 1, and for five years we've been plowing through the Old Testament, and I just thought as we finished Kings last week, let's take a break from that. Let's dive into the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and and use the, the Old Testament as our backdrop to see the grace and the love that Jesus has for us. And so I said, John chapter 1, let's start there and and build on a a foundational book. So as we do, let's talk about who John was for just a minute before we get into the text. Just so we're all on the same page. This man, John, don't know his last name. He's the son of Zebedee. But he had a brother named James. And he and James were two of 12 men that while Jesus was here on Earth, he decided. Jesus decided to take these twelve men and and bring them into his inner circle. He he spent his three years of public ministry. Jesus did with these twelve men, day after day after day, living life with these twelve men. One of which was John. And then, as you study the scriptures, you even notice that that Jesus had an even more inner circle. One of, one of three, and one of those three was John. It's funny that John would say in his in his in his gospel he calls himself the one who Jesus loved. <laughs> Nobody else calls him that. <laughs> He's like, Check the jersey, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm number one. Nobody else bothered to call him that but uh but he wasn't wrong. Jesus did love him. Jesus loved all his disciples but uh what's interesting is I was studying I hadn't heard this before, but it's very likely. That John the Apostle was Jesus' cousin. Um, I, you know that John the Baptist was. We were familiar with that story. That's easy to read as Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. That makes Jesus and John the Baptist cousins. But I had not heard that there's a very real likely that the possibility that the Apostle John was also Jesus' cousin. I mean, you have to kind of tie all four Gospels together to get that. I'm not going to spend the time doing that right now. But it is said that Salome was John's mother. And then in another, um, another Gospel it says that Salome was there at the cross with her sister Mary. And so it appears as though it, that they were cousins, which to me makes the gospel of John all the more valid. Because think about your cousin, you're going to call them the son of God, uh-uh. <laughs> but John did. So that that to me brings validation that he's willing to call his cousin. And then you look at, at his Jesus, his brother James, who writes the book of James, and he's like, "Yeah, this is the son of God, my older brother." You know, and uh, and so that brings validation. He's a writer in the New Testament. He didn't just write the Gospel of John. He actually wrote five of our twenty-seven New Testament books: John, First John, Second John, Third John. I know original, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And also Revelation. And so we have five of our New Testament books are written by this man. So it's good that we 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 study him. What's interesting about his gospel is that it is very different than the other three. They call the other three Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They call them the synoptic gospels. Have you heard that term before? It's the idea that they, they essentially tell the same story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all roughly written at the same time. And the, and the thrust of each one of those gospels is to tell you what Jesus did. While he walked here on the earth, this is what Jesus did. John, he wrote his gospel much later. He, after, after Matthew Mark and Luke had written theirs, I think he had the opportunity to read them, and then he said, "Let me tell the same story from a, a different perspective. Let me try to insert some things that, that they haven't seen in these other synoptic gospels. And so rather than focusing in so much on what Jesus did, John focuses on who Jesus was. And he spends more time talking about the time that he was in Jerusalem, and these are the things the, the, the person that he was. He he focuses his entire letter, 21 chapters, around the the seven, what are called the Ego Ami statements. I'm not talking about waffles here. Um, The Ego Ami statements. What is that? Well, that, if you go back to the time of Moses, is uh, when Moses met God there in the burning bush, what did God say? Moses said, who are you? And he said, I am that I am. That's how we get the word Yahweh but it's also called the Ego Ami statement, I am. And so now John takes that and and, um, pulls from the life of Jesus seven different times that Jesus uses the Ego Ami statement, and that's what he centers his Gospel on. So as we read through, you're familiar with them probably. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the bread of life. And he says seven different I am statements, and that's what the book of John is centered around. And so that's the focus. It's interesting. John puts aside some of the, the, the other things that the other Gospel writers found important, like his gene- Jesus' genealogy, his childhood, his baptism, his... Um, what else... The, the temptation in the desert, not mentioned in John. The Last Supper, not mentioned in John. No Gethsemane, no ascension, no parables, none of that in John. Well, you can get those in the other Gospels. And we understand that the four Gospels together tell the same story, right? It's the life of Jesus. The Gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. This isn't, it's, it's four different. Pi- if you were to put a picture, uh, a picture here of water or whatever, and I gave each one of you a piece of paper, and asked you to draw the picture. First of all, some of you would be like, "I can't do that, a crayon, You know, <laughs> because you're not like me. I'm not artistic at all. But as I drew the as I drew the picture from here, and you drew the picture from there, and you drew the picture from there, and Michelle drew the picture from there, we would get different pictures of the picture because it's from a different perspective. All telling the same story. It's all the same picture. Picture, picture. I should have probably picked you know, a vase. It would have been easier to say. But either way, that's the Gospels. They're all telling the picture of the picture, but from four different perspectives. Same Gospel, same good news. And so John takes his own take and, and, and does you no know, no genealogy, no child. He, he dives right into the life and the times of Jesus. And so the question then comes, why, John? Why did you bother writing a fourth gospel when we had these synoptic gospels? Well, he tells us. John tells us why he wrote these things. Flip over, and I want you to see this because we're going to refer to it often. Flip over to chapter 20 in John. If you can underline this. This really is the theme of John, or at least the reason why he wrote these things. Okay, John chapter 20, it says in verse 30, and 31. You can star those if you want to. He says, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. He's like, I didn't cover it all. I I focused on these seven statements. But verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Why did God, why did John write the Gospel of John? So that the you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. We understand Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ is his title. He is the savior. That's what Christ means. He is the one who came and saved. And so that we believe that Jesus is the savior that he is the Christ. That he is the Son of God. We're going to tackle that right way, right off the base in, in, in John chapter one. He is the Son of God, and that it, believing those things, that you might have life in His name. That is awesome. That we might have life in His name. John writes these words that anybody who might read these words, the hope would be that they would see their need for a Savior and that they would see that Jesus came and is that Savior. The Gospel of John is one of the best witnessing tools you can have. I recommend you can buy just, you know how you buy tracks and leave them for your server or leave them in the bathroom and hope somebody finds them. You guys do that? We do the kids do that all the time with and uh, but you can buy the gospel of John just by itself to give to people and as you interact and as you talk with people as you share your good news as you share your faith it's a great tool for you to say is your eternity worth two hours of your time most people are going to say well yeah all right here take this take two hours it's about how long it takes it's 21 chapters read it why. Because it's there that they might believe and have life in Jesus Christ. Wonderful, as you're you're bringing people to Christ, a wonderful way for them to start is to say, hey, go read the Gospel of John. It's very foundational. I don't want to say simple, because it's simple enough that a child can understand it, but it's also deep enough that an elephant can wade in it. And, and, and it's, it's, it's profound and it's deep and it's heavy, but it's at the same time, a, a child can understand the gospel as presented in John. And so use it as a tool in your hands as you share your faith with Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. All right, back to chapter one. Matthew starts with the genealogy. Mark starts back, or, uh, or rather, uh, Luke starts back in Adam uh, as, as he opens the gospel, uh, beginning with Adam. John goes back further than all three of the other ones. Look at the first words. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. I don't think there's a more powerful sentence than ever created. Uh, What a wonderful sentence way to start the gospel of John. I wonder how long he thought about that. How am I going to open this letter? How am I going to? We're going back, back to the beginning, in the beginning. And what that in the beginning means is not at the beginning when Adam was, but in the beginning before everything was, in the beginning, way back before time was even measured, for always, for all of eternity in the beginning was the word. And we need to talk about that. We need to explain that. The word there for word is logos or logos, depending on how, you know, what part of town you're from or whatever. You can say it how you want, I don't care. It's the word logos. We used to have a, the town I grew up in, Christian bookstore, they were called logos. So we used to shop there for all our Christian cassettes. You know what those are? <laughs> Some of you are like, a what? <laughs> Logos, the word. And, 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 and John chose that word specifically because he knew as he's writing to his audience, both Greek and Jew, that they understood what that word meant. They, they, in both cultures, both in the Greek and the Jewish culture, the word logos or logos meant something very specific. To the Greek, it was, uh, it was the idea or rather the ideal that everything came from an idea. They believed that anything that was anything, anything that was ever made, at one point had to be a thought. It had to be an idea. And so eventually, as you work yourself back, this was made because of this thought, and then this was made because of this thought, working yourself back, that, that began with an ideal. That ideal was called in the Greek culture, logos. The Jews would take that and take it one step further. Well, yes, there's an ideal. There's a, a perfect way. There's a, a perfect thought. And then, obviously, if there's a perfect thought... There has to be a perfect thinker, okay? And so the Jews would then say, well, that perfect thinker then is Jehovah, that is God. Now now John calls Jesus the Logos, the Word. So he says, yes, there is the perfect ideal. Yes, it came from God, but His name is Jesus, okay? So He was the Word. I love the next two statements. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. We need to try to wrap our heads around that. You, you wrap it too tight, you're going to blow your mind. But what, what it talks about, what, it, what he's saying here is that we celebrate, we worship, we, we understand that our God is a, big word here, triune God. That we serve a Trinity God. And what that means is God is three, I want to be careful how I say this, That he is three persons, but he is one God. That he has three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, yet all are God. Okay, so God the Father is God. Jesus the Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are all one. Yet, Jesus is not the Father, the Holy Spirit is not the Son. God is not the God. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. See how it can get confusing. You start wrapping your mind around it, and and people try to liken it to well, it's kind of like ice. And I've I've heard that since I was in a youth group, and it's 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 a bad analogy, but I'll, I'll just to get, help us get a picture on it. Ice or or, or water H two O can come in three different forms based on. You know, the outside temperature. That's not the case with God. God is distinct in three persons at all times. But you can have water, a liquid. You can have water, a solid. And you can have water, a gas, right? Ice, um, liquid water, and steam. All, all three distinct things. Now that's based on, I've heard it likened to an egg as well. You can have the yolk, you can have the white, you can have the shell, but it's all an egg. Those pale in comparison to the what God is people try to explain the triune, the triune God, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. But understand that we have three distinct personalities and that's how John can say he was with God and he was God. Because that's true. He was with God the Father and he is God. Jesus is God. So wonderful opening sentence. Wonderful opening statement. He's the Word. He's, with, he's been with God from the beginning. He, he is, was with God and he is God. Verse two says he was with, uh, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing that was made, or, or nothing was made that was made. Let me read that again. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. So they're saying, you see it, you hear it, you smell it, you taste it, you touch it. God made it. If you can put your senses on it in any way, shape, or form, God made it. Nothing that was made was not made without God, without Jesus. It was made through Him. And what I love about Colossians, the book of Colossians, Paul writes, not only was it made through Him, but it was made for Him. Colossians chapter 1 says uh, in verse 16, "...for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Wrap your mind around that for a while. All things. You're held together because God holds you together. But it's for the intent and the purpose. God didn't just create just to have fun creating. He created so that you and I, in, as His creation, might bring Him glory, might honor Him, might glorify His name. And so we were created not only by Him, but for Him. That's what Paul would say in Colossians. I told you when we were going through Kings, I'm not the history buff. I, I, I did okay in history, but not my strong point. Not something I really dig. What I do dig? Math. Math and science. I'm into numbers, man. So I'm going to geek out for a little while, and you're going to join me, and you're going to be okay with it. I just want to talk about creation for a while. What God has created. Because to me, it displays the splendor and the glory of our God. Let's take our solar system. Just just to start, you and I live on this little marble, this little dirt ball, really small in comparison to what we're going to talk about here, place called Earth. Seven billion of us rotating around, spinning at a certain speed so that you and I don't fly off, which is fun to think about, too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But as you walk outside, what happens? The sun hits your face, right? So you and I, we live on this ball of dirt that is positioned perfectly a set distance from our sun. That distance is 93 million miles. Now what's interesting about that perfect distance, if we were a million miles closer, 92 million miles, the temperature would be right around a 1,000 degrees and you and I would burn up. If we were 94 million miles away, the temperature would be about three to 400 degrees below zero and we'd freeze to death. So perfectly, God has placed this little marble with 7 billion people on it Perfect distance, 93 million miles from our star, the sun. Cool. Now, 93 million miles, that's a big number. What does that mean? Let's quantify it. Let's say you leave church here in about uh, 45 minutes, and you say, kids, we're going to go on a road trip. We're going to drive to the sun. I know you can't do that. I understand you'd burn up. I get it. Let's just say we're going we're to gas up the family truckster. We're going to set the cruise for 70 miles an hour, a nice speed. We're not going to stop. Nobody's going to the bathroom. We got our Twizzlers. Let's go. 70 miles an hour from now, and you just start driving toward the sun. How long would it take you to get to the sun? 93 million miles away at 70 miles an hour. It would take you 1,328,571 hours. Okay, Chris, what's that mean? Well, divide it by 24 tells you how many days it is. That's 55,357.15 days. That sounds like a lot. That is a lot. So if you decided you're going to jump in the van 70 miles an hour, you're cruising toward the sun, if you left today, you would arrive on Monday, April 15th, 2154. 2154. Yeah. (laughs) Now, my daughter's birthday is... April 19th, just four days later, so make sure you have a gift. She'll be 152. <laughs> That's how long it would take at 70 miles an hour to drive to the sun. That's how far away we are. Now, now let's look at our moon because what's so cool about the moon is it's just a big rock sitting there. God just happened to put it in our orbit, but he's so detail-oriented and it's so beautiful. What's, what's awesome about the moon? It's exactly 400 times smaller than the sun. Exactly. 400 times smaller than the sun. And it's exactly 400 times closer to us than the sun. So that every once in a while, what happens? The moon comes across and blocks out the sun perfectly and we get an eclipse. God didn't have to do that, but he did. I'll just put this here because... (laughs) It'll be cool for them, you know, a couple times a year to see a lunar eclipse and the sun and the moon perfectly blots out the sun. I was studying the other night and I was sitting here in my office and my desk looks out the window out to the east and it was, I think it was a full moon this week and it was rising. It was just beautiful. A big orange moon. I had to look around the billboard, kind of bugged me, but uh, it was, oh, it was, it was so Cool. And what I like about the sun, or the moon rather, you understand, it is just a big dumb rock up there. It has no light source of its own. So when you and I see moonlight, what is that? That's the reflection of the sun's light, providing light to the darkness just the way God said it would be. So that's what, he, that's what the moon is. It doesn't have any lights of it, light of its own. Our sun is pretty big. But in, in terms of stars, it's relatively small. But how big is our sun? 1.3 million Earths would fit inside of it. 1.3 million Earths fit inside of our Sun. That's how big it is. Pretty, and ours is a small star, Alpha Centauri, the next one, next closest one to us. Uh, it's a little bit bigger, but it's also 4.3 light years away. The next closest star is 4.3 light years. Let's talk about space for a second. How far is that? That's how far light travels in a year. That's why they call it a light year. Well, how fast? How far is that? Light travels at 186,000 miles a second per second. And so this is how long it will travel in a year. It's a big number. How far away is it? 25 trillion, 222 billion, 492 million, 800,000 miles away is the next closest star. All right, enough of me. I brought a video. I discovered this as I was studying. Just a cool thing. There's an awesome website called apod.nasa.gov. Check it out. If you're if you're into this like I am, you, it's going to blow your mind. I show I turned Russell onto it yesterday, and that's all he did all night. APOD, <laughs> a, a picture of the day, APOD.nasa.gov. All kinds of pictures of astronomy. So that star they talked about, 900 kilometers an hour. It would take you 1,100 years to fly around that star. That star encompasses our whole Milky Way galaxy. As big as our galaxy is, it would fit inside that one star. Our, our, our so, sorry, excuse me, solar system. Our solar system. Yes, the solar system. Even still, that's huge. Huge. So then the next question is, as you look at how big the universe is, how big is God? How big is God? I love what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth In a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. How big is our God? It says that He measures the heaven in a span. How big is a span? From your thumb to your pinky. Our God measures the heavens in the span of His hand. Like we said, the the last song we sang, All the universe is at your feet, O God. How big is our God? And the beautiful thing is, that this very big God chose to come to us. It's, it's, I've been meditating on this all week. You can tell I'm excited about it. I'm geeked out about it. I hope that as you meditate on it on this week, you will just be like, oh my Lord. Thank you. You'll just be overwhelmed with His grace to think that He holds the universe in His hand that He measures mountains in a scale. And yet He came to us. Verse 4 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. You understand that? I hope. In Him is life. Had it not been for Jesus breathing into us He created all things, including you and I. Had it not been for His breath, what would you be? Dirt. From the dust we were formed. And without His breath, without His life, that's all we are. As we go through John, my goal is that we make a picture of God that is very, very big and very, very loving. And we make a picture of man that is very, very small now the glory of God would come by that. He breathes life into us and that life is the light of men. It's what lights your eyes. It's His life. It's a pervenient grace. He gives it to all, not just those who know Him. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The earth full of darkness, the light shines and darkness It's going to say that he came to his own and his own knew him not. They didn't understand. And when I say they, I mean we. Because we are all sinners, fallen. And we don't comprehend the light coming to us fully until God reveals it to us, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what's interesting about that word comprehend, it also means extinguish. It can be; I mean, they, they didn't understand it, but it can also mean extinguish the word in the, in the original language. So read it with that in, in its place, and um, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not extinguish it, and that is the truth. Saint Francis of Assisi is the one who said that all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle, and that's true. If you have a completely pitch black dark room, as soon as you put light into it, it illuminates and and all that darkness cannot extinguish that light. The same is true of Jesus Christ, our light. And now he speaks of John the Baptist, verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. John the Baptist, the one, the forerunner. We're familiar probably with this story. He came out of the desert wearing camel's hair, eating bugs and honey. Not the diet I would choose, but okay. And it, he, was prof, he was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. He was the one that was cry, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He was making the crooked path straight. Exactly what the, the, the prophet Isaiah said that he would do. What does Jesus say about John the Baptist? He says that there were none greater born of women. That that of John the Baptist, there have been none greater. So let me ask you this. If that's true, is John the Baptist a good example for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I told you several times throughout Kings, there are no heroes in the Bible. And John had his faults, and he made his mistakes. He was born of woman, and so he was a sinner. Yet he was an example. What was the intention and the purpose of John's life? It tells us, we just read it, that he... Um, I lost it. Seven. That he came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him, Jesus, might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness to the, of the light. So what was John's purpose? What was his MO? What was he there to do? He was there to bear witness to the light. If John's our example, what's your goal, your, my life, what's, what are we about to be about doing? I'm tripping over my words, sorry, I'm excited. To bear witness to, bear witness to the light. Mm-hmm. You and I are to be like the moon. We don't have any light in and of ourselves. He is the light of the world, yet as we reflect his light, just like our moon reflects the sunlight, then that brings light to the darkness. Right. So we are to be like the moon, to reflect. That's what John was doing. Verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, reminding us of verse 1, and the world did not know him. Though he made all things, Jesus made everything that ever was, that ever is, that you can see, taste, smell, touch, even those things that are invisible, it says in Colossians, the world knew Him not. We chose to turn our back on God. His, he came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But, love that word. Love the word but. Don't touch the butt. Nemo? Finding Nemo? Yeah, Those of you that have kids would know it. Never mind, sorry. That shouldn't have... Boat is what he meant to say. (laughs) But is such a cool word. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Yes! To those who believe in His name. Oh, that's awesome! This God who holds the universe in the span of His hands that created everything that ever was, made a way that you and I, though we turned our backs on him, can be adopted as sons and daughters. Amen. That's overwhelming <laughs> love. It's, it's, it's almost incomprehensible. In, in many ways, it is. But, oh, the love of our God the love of our Savior, that He would adopt us sinners as sons and daughters. Michelle and I, you guys know, we're in the process of adoption. We're trying to bring Kindu home. And uh, as you've had children, or if you're a parent, you probably have gone through the, the questions that we went through as we were you know, having kids as well. When KK was born, You just fall in love with that baby and you're just like oh I love this is the 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 light of my life this is I love this daughter of mine and 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 we had KK and and then all of a sudden we're pregnant with Lily when I say we I mean she she's pregnant with Lily and you ask the question right while they're in the womb "How, how am I gonna love this kid as much as I love her how is there gonna be room in my heart to love this child as much as I already love this other child but God does it doesn't he as soon as that baby is born, all of a sudden your, your heart expands. And you're like, oh, I love her as much as I love KK. And then we're pregnant with Reese, and Reese comes along, and when I mean we, I mean she, was <laughs> pregnant with Reese, and Reese comes along, and you just asked the same question. Am I going to love Reese as much as I love these girls? And the answer is absolutely. Now, I love him in a completely different way, with my foot most often. Now, <laughs> 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 no, no. I love my kid, my boy, man. But you love each of them in a different way, but no less equal than the other. So then our question became, as we looked at let's adopt. Well, we didn't birth this child. She didn't birth this child. How how are we going to love that child as much as we love our bio kids? We went over there in August and we spent a week with him. Just three or four hours a day, maybe 20 hours total we spend with this kid. And I come flying back and I'm just like, he's one of ours. I love him as much as I love my bio kids. God's expanded my heart again to say it doesn't matter that he didn't come from us. He's our kid. And that's how God feels about you and me. You're not my bio kid, but I'm adopting you as a son and a daughter. And I love you just as much as I love my own son. In fact, I'm willing to sacrifice my son so that you can have a relationship with me. Me, who holds the heavens in the span of my hand, who measures the mountains in the scale, I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. I'm going to love you so much. It's awesome. There is no greater name than the name of Jesus. Where'd we leave off 13 finishing verse 12 there just to read it again to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god now this gives us in some insight you and i we don't become christians by blood now by the blood of jesus we do but what he's saying there is just because mom and dad were christians that doesn't make you a christian you don't get that you don't inherit christianity from your family so it's not of blood. It's not of the will of the flesh. It's not like you wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going toward God. Romans chapter 9 would say that there are none who seek Him. No, not one. All of us have, have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have turned our back on God. And that if it not for God, none of us would seek Him. Okay? Romans chapter 9 for that. So not by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God. God did this. God did this work. He made this way. He opened this door so that you and I might have life. And we need to understand that. It doesn't come by blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man. We don't choose it. He chose us. He pursued us. I'm sorry, I've been thinking about it all week. That's awesome. He pursued us. And then verse 14. I know I'm going long. Just a few more verses. We're going to go to 18. Verse 14 should be underlined in your Bible. This is one you guys should know. Star it, triple star it, highlight it, memorize it, write it on the tablets of your heart. This is an awesome verse. And the Word of God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became flesh. He, the one who made it all, became like us. The incarnation. God became man. And it says there, He dwelt with us. He, uh, he became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there means, is, is, is translated tabernacled. He tabernacled with us. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle while they were in the wilderness. Right? Think about it. What was the tabernacle? Well, as you look at it, it's kind of ugly on the outside. I mean, I'm no interior decorator, but if I asked Sue Wilson, I was pretty sure she would confirm this to say, you don't decorate the outside of your house with badger skins. If you're going for curb appeal, you don't pick badger skins as your, but that's the outside of the tabernacle kind of ugly, but inside, inside's the glory of the Lord. Inside is the seat on which the, the 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 God of the universe sits. Inside is the is the Ark of the Covenant. Inside is the glory. It's ornate. It's beautiful. It's it's bright. It's shiny, just like Jesus. He came. He tabernacled among us. He put on an ugly outer skin, but inside, the heart of glory, the heart of glory. And I love that uh, they they would after they came out of the wilderness they would. One of their feasts, one of their party times. Man, they got to party all the time. It was awesome, weeks on end, you know. And one of their week long festivals was called the, the the feast of booths or the, the feast of tabernacles. And they would all go out out of the city and they would set up these little pump pup tents and and camp out for the week. And they would celebrate that God had brought them out of the wilderness. He came and tabernacled with us. So we can celebrate that he brought us out of our wilderness. God is so good. God is so good that he came and dwelt among us. And I love the passion of John here. I can almost hear the the, the crack in his voice as he says, and we beheld his glory. As, as John got to sit with him day in and day out for three years on end. And I can imagine now he's p- putting this, 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 um, pen to paper and he's writing this letter. And I think he's imagining back and he's just like, Oh, boys, we, be, we, it means more than just saw it. We studied it. We lived it. We beheld his glory. Awesome. Awesome the only begotten of the Father. And I love it. Full of grace and full of truth. Only in Christ do you find that. Full of grace and truth. He always spoke the truth. He never varied on that. But He was always full of grace as well. You've been around other people that had that out of balance, right? They speak a lot, a lot of truth and with very little grace. And they're kind of tough to be around. Or they, they speak a lot, a lot of grace with very little truth uh-huh. and they're kind of flaky to be around. Yes. Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out. This John being John the Baptist in verse 15. Cried out saying, That was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me is preferred before Me, for He was before Me. What is he saying? John the Baptist was older than Jesus while he walked the earth. As you look at the line of Elizabeth and Mary, John was roughly six months older than Jesus. But John is saying, recall when he was baptizing Jesus there in the Jordan River. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He, He was before me. And that's what he says here. He, here comes the one that is preferred before me for He was before me. He understood that while Jesus was younger than him in, in years as far as that goes, that He's been around since the beginning, going back to the beginning of chapter 1. This is, in the beginning was the Word. John recognized that. And of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. His grace is never Ending. It is an unending supply of forgiveness and mercy and truth and grace. You cannot out-sin God's grace. Now, does that mean that we should go on sinning so that grace may abound? Romans would say, by no means. But it is an unending resource of grace and forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Pastor Dave always used to say it as he talked about the law of Moses. We don't live by the law. We die by it. And in Christ we live. The law God wrote on cold, hard tablets of stone. As He wrote it, nobody was even allowed to touch the mountain. If you touched the mountain, you died. And in that law comes death because we're all guilty according to the law. Jesus comes and writes on the hearts of men life, grace, truth. The law is necessary. It helps you and I see our need for a Savior. Christ is that Savior. Jesus brings life. Verse 18, our last verse for today. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And I bring it to this point to say, John the Baptist, what was he about? Declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, what's it say in verse 18? What was He about? He was declaring the Father. No one better born of man than John the Baptist. He was declaring Jesus Christ. Good example for you and I. And then no one greater than Jesus. He was declaring the Father. Yet again, a great example for you and I. May we be like the moon, reflecting the sun's glory as we go into this dark world. Lord bless you. Let's rise. Let's close in prayer. Ah, Jesus, thank you. I am so excited, so overwhelmed, so in awe of your grace that you, though you hold the heavens in your hands, your word tells us you even hold us together, yet you became like us. It's overwhelming, oh God, and it's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the eminence of grace and truth. May we live out our days for your kingdom and your glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.